This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, everyone. I'm Kitty Couric, and this is Next Question. You know, when I told my team I was interviewing today's guest, they went nuts. Quinta Brunson just seems to have that effect on people. She's the creator, writer, producer, and star of Abbott Elementary, a workplace mockumentary following a group of determined teachers and one slightly less motivated but hilarious principal at a Philadelphia public school. Guys, I need a new rug. Mine is officially done. Mm, Me too. I shook mine out and all of the asthma kids had to go to the nurse's office. Yeah, mine's busted. And you can't class up a rug like you can a couch with a nice coat of plastic. Hey, yo. What it do, baby boobs? What y'all think about this little film crew I brought in here? Distracting, makes our jobs harder. But exciting. We about to be on TV. Because they are covering underfunded, poorly managed public schools in America. No press is bad press, Barb. Look at Mel Gibson. Still thriving. (laughs) In front of the camera, Quinta plays Janine, one of the newer, more relentlessly enthusiastic teachers. Behind the scenes, Quinta has created something unique, a network sitcom that manages to authentically portray the real-world struggles of public school educators. And it's resonating. Viewership of the show, which is in its second season, is breaking records for ABC, and it's piling up all kinds of accolades. For this year's Critics' Choice Awards, Abbott has more nominations than any other TV show. Its stars are benefiting, too, including Cheryl Lee Ralph, who's getting some long-overdue recognition. I am an endangered species. You might have seen her Emmy speech. It brought the room to its feet and me to tears. Victim song. I am a woman, I am an artist, and I know. I caught up with Quinta at the tail end of her busy production schedule, and she was understandably beat. She spoke to me during a break between writing sessions in Los Angeles. It must be so fun to be in a writer's room. My daughter is a writer for a show called The Boys, which is on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I hear her. She does a lot of her stuff on Zoom. Yeah. But I've always wanted... Maybe when I come to L.A., I'll be able to maybe you'll let me sit in on your writer's room. I come to L.A. for a month in the winter to see my daughter and to work, you know, remotely because I hate cold weather. I just have to get out of New York City. And um, it must be so fun to be in a writer's room. 
It is. Um, and, you know, just like any other working experience, it can vary. You know, it depends on what room you're in, where you yeah. are. Oh, yes. Yeah. So my daughter has been in some not so fun rooms. Right. It happens. But I bet The Boys is actually a pretty fun one. Um, oh, she loves it. I bet. That's a great show with great producers. I think that our room is made to be a really enjoyable environment. Um, I have two wonderful co-producers, uh, Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher, who really helped facilitate such a healthy room. I, I know for me personally, I always wanted to have an enjoyable room where people can feel comfortable speaking, Can we can brainstorm easily, we can be efficient as well as exciting, but we just, we have a, a great room. One of my favorite things about our room is we start at 10 every day and we're done typically before four o'clock. That's not. Oh, that's nice. That's my favorite part is, you know, we, we get to go home. So that's exciting. <laughs> I would think it would be so important to have good chemistry in a writer's room and a good environment where people can riff and have fun and, you know, and. I don't know. It's it must be the strange alchemy because you have to be respectful, but you also have to feel free to throw out ideas and not be afraid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I said, like in a healthy room, you get to. Do all of those things, you you get to throw out ideas, you get to collaborate, you get to be respectful of others. I think the key to a healthy room is respect, you know, respecting the other writers who are in the room with you, their point of view. Um, we just had a conversation about the episode we're watching. And although it is my show, and I think in a lot of other cases, people would say, well, what I say goes, I'm always not just open to, but grateful to be able to hear the thoughts of the writers and see, making sure that we're all on the same page, that we're feeling heard, their ideas make the show better. So you have to maintain an environment where people feel comfortable sharing. And um, for me, my writing process goes all the way back to improv, which is the rules of yes anding instead of no but. So it's always how can we build off of each other? Um, how can we hear each other out and come to the something that makes the entire room comfortable? And if it doesn't, let's talk about why and and really get in there and make something good. So I, I, that's that's an important part of a writer's room. And when a writer's room is operating off of that, it's such a good experience. I bet. But it takes a lot of humility for someone like you to be willing to take feedback from writers. And what if you feel like you know, you want it, you're, you're open to it, but you totally disagree. I mean, ultimately it is your name on the show. So you, do you just say, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Like, hmm, that's a really interesting observation and idea, but I like it the way I did it. <laughs> you know, I just stay honest. I do. I love to hear how everyone feels. And very often my mind will be changed. But every once in a while, I'll say, nope, this is what makes it my show to me. And if I were to waver on this, then it wouldn't feel like my show or something that I'm comfortable having my name put on and vice versa. If the thing were to, <laughs> most of the time you're getting into that discussion about something that might blow up, you know, something that might get get um, audience feedback that is not necessarily great. We haven't had that happen in it with Abbott, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, every now and then it, it happens. We had a charter school storyline this season that um, 
upset a few people who who work in charter schools. And because that was my decision, I was able to say, yeah, I own that. Uh, yeah, you're upset. And that's okay. I made that decision. Uh, and I take that fully on my back because that is what I wanted to happen in the show. So whenever I do just kind of say, no, this is the way I want it, I'm also making sure I'm prepared to take whatever blowback could come from that decision, which I that's part of the responsibility of helming a show um, as a creator and just knowing that if things go south, it's on you too, but also <laughs> owning that I think is really important. Well, it sounds like it's it's a fun place to work and um, and things are going so well for you. First of all, I just want to say congratulations from for all your success. You're are you still 32 or have you turned 33, Quinta? We'll be 33 in let's see what day it is. It's the 28th. How many days are in? I'll be 33 in a month. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's still you're a baby. You're very young. And <laughs> it's so you know, nice to hear that. <laughs> oh my God, honey, you know. I'm 65, so 33 sounds pretty sweet to me, although I wouldn't change yeah. a thing. Right? Um, no, yeah. I feel I feel lucky to be the age I am, and I yeah. feel like everyone needs to appreciate every year they have on Absolutely. the planet. Absolutely. But um, I feel really bad. Things are going so, so badly for you these days. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I feel like every interview must start this way. Quinta, wow, what a year you've had. You're the award-winning writer, creator, and showrunner of Abbott Elementary. You single-handedly revived the Dying Network sitcom. The Hollywood Reporter named you Comedy Star of the Year. And you just played Oprah in Weird, the Al Yankovic story. So does every interview start that way, Quinta? You know, most of them do, yes. <laughs> Most of them do. Yeah, I can't lie. <laughs> well, I tried to start out in a more original way, but I couldn't figure out great. how to do that. So I just want to ask you, I mean, how are you dealing with it? Is it is this thrilling? Is it overwhelming? Is it a mixed bag? What? It is um over it, it no overwhelming is not the right word. It's thrilling. I think that I focus very much on keeping my feet on the ground. And I think that's what keeps it from becoming overwhelming. You know, I think I know what's happening every day, even on days where I don't totally know my entire schedule. I, I'm keeping in tune with what's going on. Um, I recently had that interview with Oprah, which came out yesterday. And although I have not watched it, I remember talking about uh, Oprah was talking to me about, um, you know, her her rise of making her show was essentially a blur. Like, it's just happening. You're just doing your job every day. And I feel like you probably can relate. You're just doing your job. And, um, and Oprah said that she felt like for the first time she was able to look at me and see what it looked like or felt like. So I feel like that comforted me because I can't really slow down to see what it looks like. Things are just happening every day and I'm just riding the wave because ultimately I feel like I just need to like, you know, stay healthy. It, and it feels good to focus on my work like that. 
um, I think that in the future, I'll be able to like look back and just be like, whoa, that this is all crazy. But for now, I've just compartmentalized it into things that happen every day. So even <laughs> talking to you, although you were the wonderful, incredible Kate Couric, it's like, you know, that's in the calendars. Okay, I'll be doing that. And then I'll be going back to the writer's room. And then who knows? I think I'll process it in like three months. <laughs> At the same time, have you taken any like moment to just say, wow, I, this is so exciting. I mean, it is kind of kismet when everything comes together. Yeah. You know, it it, it doesn't happen that often, right? And yeah, for you to come up with this idea, yeah, write it, create it, star in it, and birth it really. I yeah. hope you've able to been able to take a moment to say, this is this is really cool. I think so. I think I have, I do. I have those moments every now and then. I took my dad to a Sixers game this past week. And um, was that crazy? It was, you know, because I'm in my LA bubble a lot and getting to go back home is rare. You know, it's kind of like holiday time. Right. Um, I was excited to take my dad to that game just because when I was little, he used to take me to games, you know, and so I was excited to be able to do that for him. And um, were you on the Jumbotron? Yeah, I, yeah, I heard. I heard I was, but they had us ring the Liberty Bell, which is what, you know, celebrities do at the beginning of the Sixers game. And um, that was a moment where I got to sit and take it in like, whoa, I'm able to take my dad to the Sixers game. I'm able to like sit courtside with my dad and have, you know, like James Harden say hey to me and like the, the you know, the Nets and stuff. And my dad got to meet this legendary basketball player named World Be Free. I didn't know him. My uh -huh. dad freaked out about him. But then that, you know, he freaked out. And then later that guy was like, I love your show. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. And, you know, my dad loves you. And, you know, took a picture with him, which was so cool. So it's like moments when I'm able to do that for my dad where I'm yeah. like, wow, this is, I have accomplished a lot this year. It's, it's the most, you know, odd moments. It's not technically when I'm accepting reward or something. It's like when I can do something very hyper-specific for my family. Well, it's, I think it must be incredibly exciting. And I want to talk to you about your family, Quinta, in a minute, and a little bit about your upbringing and sort of your slightly circumlocutious road to creating this show because you've done a lot of other things I know kind of leading up to this point. But but I wanted to focus just a, for a minute on the show. I know you came up with the idea because your mom was a kindergarten teacher. Yeah. And she used to come home and regale you all with stories. Did you think, I mean, when you set out to do this show, Tell me a little bit about your thought process, because I'm so fascinated by the genesis of an idea. The idea really came when I went to go visit my mom. And I spent so much time with my mom in schools. I was in her class. I went to the school where she taught for all of elementary school. And then constantly was just more than just being a student was always in schools. And my mom was very involved. So just hearing about everything from her. That wasn't until I, you know, went to college and moved to L.A. And then all of a sudden I wasn't in that environment as much anymore. But I wasn't in that state of knowing how important or formidable, you know, that environment was to me and how familiar I was with it. So when I went back to visit my mom before she retired, I was just in this environment again all of a sudden. 
that familiarity just hit me in the face. I was like, whoa, I forgot how, you know, this hallway smell, these floors, this, these walls, man, this is so rich. And it's something, a world I know really well that I forgot about. So I think for me, I like to create stories about a world I know very well. And I feel like I like to know the smell of that world. You know, I like to know all of those kinds of details. And ultimately, you know, despite what people take away from when they watch Abbott, I really just wanted to make a workplace comedy. That was my goal. Just a 22-minute sitcom. Uh, no more poignant than, <laughs> than uh, you know, any of the other workplace comedies. Really, I think with a show like Abbott, that naturally the heart comes out differently. The the lessons that people learn from the show, it just comes out because of uh, where me and the writers, the places where we we write from. You know, we're I think we're big on humor and humanity, and so. Uh, because of that, people get a lot more for, from the show. But my goal is to keep it a workplace comedy. These things need to happen here the same way that they've happened on, you know, shows like The Office or Just Shoot Me. Like, it just needs to feel. Yeah. Um, so. I love that it's both the sitcom and and sort of the mockumentary style of The Office. Yeah. Um, and, and it feels a little Ted Lasso-y with the heart and the focus on the characters, the teachers. How did that come come about? Did you just say, I like this style, so I want to have the teachers, I want them to convey what's happening internally and yeah. all that? Yeah, I just thought it was a great opportunity for mockumentary. I mean, I saw it as a mockumentary initially. That's just the what I saw when I start, thought of the idea. But what was always fun to me about mockumentary is with it, you get two versions of a character. It's just multi-layered, which I think is so beautiful for the mundane field uh, fields. Um, you know, yeah. There, uh, there's a show that people don't know, but it was on HBO. It was an Australian show called Jamae, and it was it was very is really silly, not the most politically correct, but <laughs> it was just this girl going to her prep school, and you find yourself all of a sudden super into this girl's life, you know? And I think it's that those double layers to people that mockumentary provides that makes them more enticing. And I felt like that was really great for these teachers in particular in a school like Abbott um, to get two sides of them, what they show to the camera and what they show to their um, uh, their coworkers. It's also interesting to watch that relationship develop over time, you know? A character like Gregory, who kind of wants nothing to do with the cameras at first, are now finding them to be the only people, you know, he they that he can trust. And I think it's fun for the audience. You know, it keeps them on their toes of there are so many people who, like in our show, would love for Gregory and Janine to get together. But, you know, Gregory and Janine don't know what the audience knows. They really don't. They don't know what the cameras know. You know what I mean? They don't. Right. They, the, you guys are seeing it, but they're not seeing anything really. Right. Uh, same thing with Barbara. I mean, all of our characters, there's, there's opportunities for Barbara to say stuff to the camera about her profession that she would never say to her coworkers. 
So I just find it so exciting. It's such an exciting format. I don't think it always works, you know, like I think sometimes it's a hindrance or a crutch, but I don't think it is here. It makes you feel like you're part of the inside joke. Absolutely. You know, as a viewer, when you people like glance at you, even if it's quick, like when you were getting off the ladder and you glance quickly at the audience or whatever, it yeah, it, it, it makes you it 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 brings you in to that world and it makes it feel much more intimate. Which I thought was really important too. I knew that, and once again, I didn't give it that much thought. I think I was just moving with the, the current of the idea, but there are ways people could look at a public school like Abbott and dismiss it and dismiss what kind of love is there and what, what kind of care is there. So I wanted people when they watch the show to feel like they're in this school. I didn't want them to, to feel like they're at the aquarium looking in at the fish. I wanted them to be in there with them because a certain kind of care comes from the audience. Then they want to protect these characters. They want to protect these kids. They work at Abbott too. They go to Abbott too. Um, I think that's something that's so powerful. And, and yeah, it was kind of like a theory I was testing and it wound up being true, watching people care so much about these characters and, and you know, like want merch, want, they want the Abbott, they want the most, the lanyard. Like, why do you want that lanyard? But, you know, people want to, they feel a part of it. And that's so beautiful to me. I think that's the sign of like a good, a good show. When we come back, Quinta walks me through the often real life inspiration for her Abbott Elementary teachers. That's right after this. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I wanted to ask you about the focus of the show because it really, as you know, is on the teachers. and. Um, I'm curious what you're hearing from teachers because teachers are rarely portrayed in such a loving light, I think, and obviously funny too. But have you heard from a lot of teachers who oh, this, who say they they finally feel seen? I, I'm, uh, I'm getting tired of that expression, but you know what I mean? I know. Uh, I mean, all the time, all the time, all the time. It's, what do you hear from them? It's always... A thank you 
thank you for showing what we go through. And, you know, teachers are interesting because we usually talk about feeling seen in terms of like race or sex, um, sexual preferences, sex, but not with like a profession. And I think that's what's so unique about teaching is it's this marginalized <laughs> part of the government workforce. You know, we we have to have teachers. We have to. No one can do anything without a teacher. It's just, you know, in order for me and you and I to sit here and talk, we had to learn English. We had to, you know, learn so much. And teachers do that. And um, they're paid so little. They're overlooked. They're underappreciated. Um, they should be the most revered next to doctor. You know what I mean? I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. So more than feeling seen for them, it's, it's not like seen like representation, it's appreciation for what they do, you know, for their actual work, I think is what they're feeling is like someone appreciates our work. And now the world is starting to appreciate our work more. We're not just someone who stands in front of a chalkboard. I would always have kids say to me, you know, the way they, my mom was a teacher. So there'd be other kids in my class who looked at teachers in this very foreign way. But to me, I'm like, this is my mom. She comes here, she does this job. And then she goes home, she makes dinner. She buys me clothes. She takes me to Chuck E. Cheese. She's she yeah. takes up like five other kids. But to, to them, when you're just a student, that's just a teacher and they, they do stuff, they get on your nerves and then they go to sleep at the school and then they wake up in the morning and they teach you again. <laughs> and I think that that's the way a lot of like America, unfortunately, looks at teachers. And I think teachers just come up to me to tell me, you know, thank you for appreciating what they do and knowing that it's more than just babysitting and that it's a hard, hard job. Um, I'm such an advocate for them being paid more. And I... I I, I don't know who I have to, like, I don't know what we have to do to get them paid more, but they just deserve, like, so much more money. <laughs> Especially in under-resourced schools like, like Abbott Elementary, um, which you, you focus on in a kind of funny but serious way. And I love that you take real-life issues that educators face, but do it in a way that is not too heavy-handed. Is yeah. it challenging to be to be able, Quinta, to kind of weave those things in to the script and not feel like you're preaching? No, not for me. It's not my storytelling style to have those things weigh down the script or the scene or the line. I just think that there's more power and uh in in showing than telling. And I think we we just did this in the room. It's I think it's important to focus on the mundane and in the mundane are the details, really. Like if you just listen long enough to someone talking about doing their job at the airport, they're just talking. I just talked to someone at the airport and they're just talking to me. <laughs> and we're having a casual conversation, but in that mundane conversation, I'm like, yeah, that's messed up. That's messed up. That's messed up. But people are just doing their jobs. They're just getting through the day. You know, they're just, uh, they don't have time all the time to talk about how messed up something is. They're just, they got to do their job. They have to do their work. And so that's kind of how I approach Abbott. These are people who just have to do their job. They could stop, right? They could stop and talk about the injustices all day. 
but they have to teach the kids. That's the goal of the job. The job is not to talk about the job, it is to do the job. And I think you're so much more out of that. I loved when Cheryl Lee Ralph was talking to to your character about supplies and about not emphasizing what the kids don't have, but emphasizing what they have and working, working with the tools you have to give the kids confidence. And there's obviously a lot of wisdom from Barbara, who Mm -hmm. I guess is sort of loosely based on your mom. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Not loosely. Very. But you know, what's fun is now the character is taking such shape and form. It's I love what Barbara, what the Barbara character has become. And I love still influencing her with my mother, but also watching this character turn into, you know, someone very special. That's that's my most my favorite part about writing. I can start with inspiration, but then watching the character take on a life of its own is so so that's the most rewarding part about it. That's when you really feel like your character is alive. And that's so fun. You know, Miss Howard, you remind me so much of my favorite teacher from the third grade, Miss Elliot. She was well dressed, good with kids, a wizard with a glue gun. Thank you, Janine. That is very kind yeah, of you. Yeah, I, I wanted to be just like her, actually. I was like obsessed with her. She wrote my report card note needs friends her own age, a bit clingy. She was a hoot. Anyway, hey, did you get my email about the two of us hanging together after school or? No, it must have gone to spam. It's so crazy how my emails do that with you and nobody else. And tell me about the Lisa Ann Walters character, sort of the rough Italian. Um, uh, Of course, I loved her in The Parent Trap. But what was the inspiration for her character? Did you create her out of whole cloth? No, my mom always had a best friend, no matter where, you know, for years, it was a woman named Miss Facey. And I love Miss Facey. She just always had a partner. And then when my mom switched schools during the last five years of her career, she had this friend. named uh was it camera i think it was melissa i think i just used that name it's melissa or michelle or something like that and i met her and i was like oh i like this woman you know like i like the role she plays in my mother's life and my mom feels very safe with her they feel safe with each other um they feel comfortable enough to talk about the silliness of the school district and the silliness of their principal at the time and i just thought that was such an endearing relationship. And these are two women who are from opposite sides of the city, different races, different religions, but their common ground is we got to do this job. Let's just get it done. Here's this silly thing that happened today. And they've been doing this job for a long time. So Melissa was super motivated by that um, woman in, you know, Lisa auditioned for that role. And I mean, really just brought to life what, it was it's in the tone of Lisa's voice to be both tough and very subtle and caring all in the same breath. And she just owned it and made it. And I maintain it. I think she's one of the best. She's really, really good. I I I love people who can be as subtle, as subtle as she can. Um, it's like my favorite type of actress. And I think that Lisa just killed it. And once again, that's a character that has grown so much. We, I love adding in character traits to that character to make her turn into a very alive, well-fleshed-out character. Whose Branzino is this? That is a very powerfully smelling fish to put in a shared fridge. Don't touch it. I'm making it tonight at my cousin Annette's. I think she's the best cook in the family. I'm going to show her in a non-threatening way. I'm going to look cuter than her, too. Janelle James is is definitely not so subtle 
Like, uh, <laughs> not so subtle. No, which is a, one of my other favorite parts of the comedic spectrum, which is in your face. But I will say that Janelle's performance of Ava um, is just fa- fascinating. There was no one else who could have done that job. And Janelle has such a handle on who that woman is. You know, it's a woman that is utterly ridiculous, but you love her. And I think we write her that way, but Janelle knows exactly what to do to make it so that the audience can't help but be in love with her. And that's something very unique to Janelle. Like I said, that, that those auditions were hard. And Jan, I mean, the, as soon as she spoke, I was like, we're done. No one, it's an essence that she can carry of, you know, making you be both in love with this character, but hate them. And you, you'd be sad if they weren't there, but you're mad they're there. It's very, very special. Um, she's so good. And um, I don't know, I'm just excited to build out more of Ava. There's, there's stuff coming up that I think is so great. The other great thing about that character is even when there's small wins for her, the audience feels justified in being like, see, this is why I like Ava. <laughs> she can spend the whole episode being horrible. But then if she just says one right thing, you know, everyone's like, see, see, this is why I like her. And I think it's really fun to have a character like that. Let me see these permission slips to the zoo and they better be real because I can tell if you faked a Herbie Hancock. Oh, it's John Hancock. Girl, I know. I just say whatever I want. We learned that yet? <laughs> it's funny how like how complex sort of all these things are in terms of the dialogue and the plot lines. And yeah. I wanted to ask you too about Tyler James Williams, who is subtle, yes. who um, I've really enjoyed watching as well. Right. Tell me a little bit about that character and, and where, where Tyler came from. So, yeah, I mean, that character, well, I'll go to the first part. So Tyler, I had worked with him on Black Lady Sketch Show, and I just so enjoyed working with him. It was just a wonderful experience for me with him on Black Lady Sketch Show. That was kind of like my first time um, acting with a, a, with a guy, with a man and had, that I had to be romantic with, like in the sketch or whatever. But it's a sketch, so we didn't have time to like build much uh, chemistry. You know, we had to say our lines and do it. But I felt as though we had the natural chemistry that you look for with with all of the actors in your life. Like it's a chemistry I look for with Janelle, with, um, you know, with with all of the actors in my show. I have that chemistry. I knew it would have to be special, though, with the Gregory Janine relationship, since, you know, it's insinuated that it's romantic. And when I was writing this character, I just kept seeing Tyler in my head. I was like, you know what? Tyler has the right look for this. I know he can act it. I know we have a natural chemistry there. I really hope he can do it. So I told him about it. It, This was during the pandemic. So I didn't know how he was going to, I don't know if he would be one of those people that's like, I'm never working again. I don't want to, I don't want to do TV. I told Tyler. I'm going to move to the mountains. Right. I didn't know where it would go, but he was like, yeah, he said, that sounds great. And I sent him the script once it was finished. And he was like, I really like this. And um, he was just like a shoe in I think we auditioned some other people, but no one beat out Tyler's approach on the character. He just had it down. And so, um, you know, his character comes in very much not wanting to be here. And now, as I said, watching him grow and he, he comes off super suave and, and, and everything in the beginning. But one thing that I'm really proud of in this show is we've gotten to show his quirks and he still gets to be like, you know, to the audience, this guy who's exciting and kind of a heartthrob, but also 
is a dork and has these quirky things about him. Uh, all right, man, you, I can't do this. I, I just don't like pizza. What? Say that again. I don't think I heard you, son. Sweetheart, what do you mean you don't like pizza? I just don't understand the concept of having a bunch of ingredients just slosh around in your mouth. It's not just pizza. I've got like four or five things that I actually like and I just stick to those. Do you like pie? Fruit should not be hot. Okay. And I think that's really important for a Black male character to be all of that at the same time. And um, it's just exciting to watch that character form um, through the writers and through Tyler's performance. That's Tyler is, is the king of unexpected choices. And I find it so exciting, you know, to see what kind of choice he's going to make. I absolutely love acting in scenes with him. He and I mean, I love acting scenes with all of my um, all of my cast members, but him and, and Jacob, Chris Perfetti, I, I love acting in scenes with Chris makes me feel like a better actress. Like, well, let, now that you brought him up, I, I don't want to leave him out. Yes. You know, like uh, he put the awk and awkward, right? Yes. <laughs> Tell me about him and, and, and sort of the inspiration for his character. So the inspiration for his character was kind of like my, um, I had a friend in, I have a friend in New York named Matt and I love Matt. I think he would go to the ends of the earth for his children and was always coming up with new fun projects and, um, and just loves his job. He genuinely does, loves it so much. And he's one of the teachers in my life that I talked to the most. And I really wanted to have a character, someone like Matt represented in the show. And so with Chris's character, Jacob, I felt like it would be easy to say, oh, this white guy, he's being a white savior, blah, blah, blah. But like, no, there's more than that. There's more to him than that. And his position and why he winds up in a school like this in the first place and the choices he makes. And I just think that Chris had such a handle on him. It could have easily been a very stereotypical portrayal of Jacob, but Chris was so subtle, I felt. I love subtlety and and still funny and exciting. Hey, do you want cheesesteaks from the corner store for lunch today? Uh, Not not from there. The guy behind the counter, he calls me white boy. Well, it's like a term of endearment. And like, if you don't like it, just ask him to stop. No way. There's an entire chapter on white fragility on that, okay? Robin D'Angelo, she says, when you start policing people who have- Hey, Melissa, can you please tell Ta-Nehisi quotes here that white boy is a term of endearment from the corner store people? For Zach Ertz, yeah. For him, it's an insult. Hmm? I think he's so funny because he's so earnest. He's yes. trying so hard. And he's trying, I think, he's one of these people who is- maybe hyperbolically progressive and 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 really um almost performatively uh, uh progressive in a yeah. way which is you know you know his heart's in the right place but and we we talked about that a lot one of the main things in this description for the character in the pilot was he is woke to a fault like is that a bad thing I don't know. Let's find out. Like, I I kind of do all of my characters. I don't like to label people bad or good or wrong or right. I think the exploration of how all of these different points of view mix with each other. So putting them in a scenario where all of their points of views, you know, collide, that's the real way to get something good instead of just labeling Jacob 
bad because he's, you know, overly woke or labeling Janine bad because she's overly optimistic. It's just playing with those in-between gray areas that give you a good story. After the break, Quinta talks about her family and her wild and woolly 20s. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. So you're the youngest of five kids, and um, you grew up in West Philadelphia. As we've established, your mom was a kindergarten teacher. You were the baby. Um, And what about your dad? Tell me a little bit about your family dynamics. And were you the the family clown? I'm the youngest of four. And I was like that. Oh, I've talked about the youngest a lot. um, Being the youngest. Talked about it with Nick Kroll, actually. He's the youngest in his family. We've talked about what that freedom you're allotted when you're the youngest child. Do you feel that too? Yeah, definitely. My parents were tired by the time I came around (laughs) and I think they were much harder on my older sisters and even my brother. I agree. Um, So yeah, my dad was actually a manager of parking lots, which I think was so cool uh, in retrospect. It's funny enough, I just had the experience that I had going back to my mom's school I had the experience. I went into a parking garage and had to go into the little booth you go to, you know, whatever. And I was like, wow, this this smell, this familiarity. I spent so much time in these kinds of booths as a little girl with my dad. And I was like, oh, wow, is my next show going to be about parking lots? But no. <laughs> but he was a, a parking manager. He, um, my, my dad's fascinating. I think he is simply everyone says this about their dad, but he's one of the best men I, I know. And I think he made a lot of sacrifices to raise so many children. I think it's just, you know, he had a whole life. My parents were, you know, they were, they were explorers, hippies, you name it. And he settled down and got out like a real job to be able to take care of his children, which I think is so admirable because both of my parents is they're, they're so talented. My dad was a gymnast. He was an artist and they decided that the children they were having were more important. And I, I don't know. I admire him so much for that. I really do. So you, you graduate from Temple and then 
you you kind of are are searching for what you want to do. Just tell me a little bit about your twenties, Quinta, um, and and how you ultimately ended up making videos for BuzzFeed. But just just fill in the blanks for me. Uh, the twenties, yeah, loved my twenties. Um, I did. I, I really lived it up. I'm so proud of myself. Um, to the point where it makes me sad when I see other kids not doing it. I'm like, no, this is the time to live it up. Be safe, but have fun. But no, I graduated from Temple, had a ball in college, or I'd sorry, I didn't graduate from Temple. I just left and um, went out, came out to L.A. around 23, was it? Yeah. Had some breakups, had some fun. And then I, I started working at Apple out here to help, you know, I had to have a job and I explored. I, I was on my own and really explored explorative like i i had fun i made new friends i um went where i could with the little money i had i took you know went to palm springs went to joshua street took the trips i could take met people um when i started it was around 2014 when the platform instagram got video and before instagram had video it was just pictures and you know you that was it but the the video part really opened up a certain section of virality. I was already practicing comedy before then. I was doing improv and I really wanted to make it big with stage improv and, you know, go on to either be on SNL or somehow find my way to making my own show. But then um, I just started making these little videos with no intention of going viral or fame or anything. It was just, oh, I'll make these little videos for my friends to watch. Can I get some Skittles, uh, some dips, Reese's Pieces, ah! pretzels? <laughs> And a large popcorn. A large? You got your money. He got money. Get it all for him. You know, they went super viral, which was super new for that platform. And I just started serializing them, which was exciting because it made me feel like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm enjoying this idea of, you know, serializing, making sort sort of a universe, sort of a show. This is what I've always wanted to do, and it's cool to be able to do it. And um I had fun doing it and made a lot of money from selling t-shirts with the catchphrases, but eventually that money ran out and I needed a job. And honestly, I missed the stability of a job. I didn't like the idea of all of that being on me, having to sell t-shirts and having to make weird appearances for money. I was like, I'd rather have a nine to five than live like this. And so BuzzFeed came into play, which wound up being the perfect job for me because I was able to be creative, have an audience and have a consistent income for a very long time. I worked there for three years, I think. And I wasn't, I needed that. I needed to have an, a consistent check. And over time, while being at that company, you know, my income grew. I was able to save, which I'd never been able to do in my life. Savings was just out of the question. And I finally was able to put money away, which wound up being important for me later. Um, to have money I could, you know, live off of. Well, I found my way after I left BuzzFeed. So my 20s was just a lot of building career-wise. And also I was a young single woman for most of my 20s. And I really <laughs> enjoyed that time. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I lived a lot of life. And I, I, I love that. And it's funny because people, they'll... I think I come off a little unassuming, but like I lived a lot of life during that time, a lot of relationships, a lot of experimenting, a lot of fun. I had so much life, so it was good. 
And you're lucky because that you sort of got through your 20s before the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which was really fortunate because I think for a lot of kids, mm-hmm. you know, at that age now, the pandemic has has really kind of affected them in a negative way. And, and I hate that. I hate yeah. that. I really do. I wish that weren't the case. It makes me sad because even, you know, there's a 26 year old PA writers, PA, and I would talk to him and be like, how, you know, what's going on? Like, are you dating? Are you going out? And no, he's like, yeah, no, since the pandemic, like we we've never, he's like in his twenties, he hasn't really practiced the art of like going out, meeting, meeting people, meeting girls. It's, it, it's all been digital for them even more than it was during the pandemic like that. It's just become a more singular life. It's kind of left a pall over, I think, sort of people's joie de vivre, if you will. I agree. I agree. Which is is a a, a shame. Um, It is. I hope they find their way. I hope so, too. My daughter's 26, and I feel like it's it's had an impact on her and a lot of kids her age. Yeah. You did the, what was the sketch show called again, Quinta, that you did? Black Lady Sketch Show. Yeah, you did that. but this has been obviously sort of off the charts successful. Do you do you prefer acting to to writing, or if you had to pick one or one or the other, which would you do? Or do you feel like they're inextricably linked? Oh, that's a good question. You know what? That's a really good question. Um, I think now at this point in my career, I realize that. When it comes to acting, I guess I I don't want to just act in just anything. I do want, and I feel like every actor feels this way, so I don't feel special in saying this, but, you know, I want to feel like I can do, I can do this role. Like, I want to have the feeling of like, I, not only can I do this, I will also be challenged by it. And that feels exciting to me. So... I've I've gotten like offers to do some other things and I just feel like, oh, if I don't feel challenged or excited by it, I don't want to do that as an actor. I'd rather do something that makes me feel artistically fulfilled, like a real piece of the puzzle in somebody else's vision and that I can add to it and also perform exactly the way that they would like me to. I like acting. It's just that, you know, I do I do enjoy writing, I think just a a little bit more, but, but who knows, you know, I think that for instance, like when I got to go do the Oprah role, such a small thing that was so exciting for me and joyful. And like I said, it was like something where I'm like, I can do this, but also I feel like it's going to be a challenge to do this right. And that is exciting. You know, I, I think that's, that gets any creator's blood pumping and I respect other people's creative vision so much. So to be able to be a working um, cog in another machine is actually quite exciting to me. Well, it sounds like you're going to have your hands full too with Abbott Elementary, which I know they ordered more seasons. I mean, more episodes, right? Didn't they order, didn't they order 22 instead of 12? Or am I crazy? No, they did. It was 13 for the first season. And this season, our second season, which we're currently filming and airing is 22. And do you see it lasting a while longer or? Yeah, as long as they want it to and I want it and we want it to. Yeah. You know, I love what Abbott is for ABC and 
I love making the show. <laughs> well, I think they love you and appreciate you too, which is a good and important feeling. Yes. But listen, I, I'm really, thank you very much for the time. Thank you for doing this interview. It's really, really a treat to meet you. And I'm really enjoying the show. So continued success with it. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate it. You can watch Abbott Elementary on ABC or stream both seasons now on Hulu. And if you want more of Quinta, you should also check out her book of essays, perfectly titled, She Memes Well. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.